Thanks, Matt. You know what? 40 years old sounds great. <laughs> you know, it depends, I guess, on perspective, doesn't it, to where you are. No, you know what? It, uh, Dave and Bryna are away. They're taking some time on vacation. And uh, just reminds me of uh, a couple weeks ago. Christy and I were on vacation, too. We didn't get a chance to go away in the summertime. We were able to. We went out to the East Coast for the first time. Lobster rolls. I've never... Do you guys know what lobster rolls are? Have, have you, I'm seeing some nods here, yes. Lobster rolls are my new favorite thing. And so I've heard, though, that apparently don't get them around here. They're just not as good. They just won't cut it the same way. But anyway, you know, it is good to get away, isn't it? It's good to get away when we have the opportunity. And it really gives... I don't know about you, but it gives me a chance sometimes uh, to reflect... And just do a lot of time of reflection, but also a time to, in the busyness of life, and just sometimes how chaotic life is, and we don't even realize it, just to get a bit of clarity. I hope you've had a summer of clarity and relaxation, and if you haven't, I hope that the fall brings you that as well. Because it's shocking how in just a few weeks, whatever relaxation we had just seems like chaos again, doesn't it, as well? So I hope that we can slow down a little bit. Speaking of clarity, and I just want to apologize for a second here, is that um, how many of you wear contacts? Contact lenses, come on, whatever. I wear contact lenses. I might need to also put my glasses on today. Had a little bit of problem this week. I was putting my contact lenses on, and I went, oh my goodness, did I put them in the wrong eye? So then what I did was I switched them around. But then I went, I don't think that's the right thing. I think it was the right way before. But then, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a contact lens wearer, you know, there's the left side and the right side. And then I'm questioning myself, did I put it in the right side or the left side? So basically, we're working 50-50 here this week, everybody. <laughs> I've been driving around all week. I'm still trying to figure out if, in fact, the contacts are in the right eyes or not. But um, anyway... I'm seeing actually pretty well far away and not as well here, which not, is not normally uh, close up. So we'll see sort of what happens. So a little bit of apology, but I might need to wear my glasses a little bit as we move on because I do depend on notes more than Dave does. Uh, while we're away, I heard and found out that our friends in Burlington, the Burlington community, has found their own space. This is great news. And so we, yes, the people in Burlington... And so we know that some online uh, viewing parties, or viewing parties, I guess, are happening. Sure, that's what we call them, uh, on Sundays. And so a great shout out to anybody who is listening and watching online. But uh, congratulations to Burlington. And we actually have some dates in mind that, that, that are going to happen. So we want to make sure that, there, that everybody knows this, that we are working towards a soft launch that is just getting people established and in that community on November 12th, Sunday, November 12th with a grand opening to happen Sunday, December 3rd. So this is great news. This is a way for our own community at Westside to expand and for the people of Burlington to, find, have, uh, to get their own space. Uh, we'll miss you, but on the other hand, we know that we're heading in the right direction as we expand. So this is wonderful news. We started a series last week. Dave started a brand new series last week called Measuring Up. And uh, we're taking the, the passage, we are taking the, uh, the chapter of Luke chapter 6, and for the next three Sundays, maybe even four Sundays, we've been in that. So Dave last week shared with us, how, measuring up, how do we measure success? And his key point was this, 
For Jesus, success is not measured by what you have or what you don't have, but by who you are and what you give away. Success is not measured by what you have or what you don't have, but by who you are and what you give away. So we're going to build on this today, and it's really good sometimes to just also, when we're in sometimes stories like Luke chapter 6, especially when we're reading, I think, when we're reading encounters that Jesus has with other people, it's good to know a bit of the context. So what the context here actually in this passage is, Jesus, he's actually talking to his disciples. They've just come down from, uh, Jesus was on the mountain, he was praying, and they've just come down from the mountain, and they actually had just been chosen by name who the disciples actually are. And so they're on this now large, and they, I don't know why it's, uh, I guess it's important to say this large level area, because now it is a little different, I believe, than the Sermon on the Mount, but they're surrounded by a bunch of followers, a crowds, and a bunch of followers of Jesus. But Jesus now turns specifically to, the, to his disciples, and this is the teaching he gives. The teaching he gives is this part of Luke chapter 6. And so this teaching isn't just a normal teaching. It's a radical teaching. It's a teaching that is so different than how the world operated back then, and I believe how the, op- how the world operates today. Maybe a better way, and maybe you've heard this before, is this idea of this upside-down kingdom, the idea of this kingdom that Jesus offers. But it's so different. It's upside-down than from what is normal. Let's take a look at what Dave shared last week, just for review, so we can build on it this week. Uh, let's take Luke chapter... Dave ta- talked in Luke chapter 6, 20 to, verses 20 to, to 23, and also 24 to 26. And so here's what this upside-down kingdom, kingdom looked like from last week. Number one is God blesses the poor, but sorrow comes to those who are rich. This is upside down. This is not what's normal. God blesses the hungry. Sorrow comes to those that are full and fed. God blesses those who weep. Sorrow comes to those that are laughing. Blessings come to those that are hated and mocked and cursed. Sorrow awaits those that are praised by the crowds. So today we're building on this idea of this upside down, it doesn't make sense. What is this new radical way of living that Jesus is calling these and all of us as disciples, followers of Jesus into? So let's look into a little bit more about what this kingdom looks like. So today's scripture is now building on that Luke chapter 26, Luke chapter 6, And I'm going to start at verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? 
Even sinners loves the, love those who, who love. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Did you hear those words? I'm a practical person. I'm not a theologian. I've been in ministry 40 years. I'm a practitioner. So practical is important. Stuff's got to work. And when we read words like love your enemies as followers of Jesus and this radical new, in this radical way that Jesus taught his disciples that we're to follow, is it going to work? Um, I find it always interesting, and maybe some of us aren't as aware, that um, when Jesus actually is talking to the crowds, especially when he's talking to his disciples, these are like, he's now the rabbi now, right? So he's talking to his disciples. These disciples are like um, interns. They're like, they're following him, but they're also learning at the same time. But the amazing part about it is, is that, if you're a Jewish boy, you, are, you know the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So you'd already know, and you know, probably know it by heart, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when something like a teaching like this happens, and you hear the words, these, these disciples will hear the words, love your enemies, immediately, the radical part of that is, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we're supposed to love our neighbor our neighbor, because that comes from Leviticus. So when we see that these, te- sorry, when we are now reading and witness the fact that Jesus is teaching disciples, is that they would go, what do you mean love our enemies? We're supposed to like love our neighbors. And so the context of this passage is, no, 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 it's easy to love your neighbor. It's hard to love your enemies. But this is what we're calling you to, this following me, will mean loving people who don't love you. So I guess quite my, one of my questions today is, do you have enemies? Do you have enemies? Jesus had many enemies. I don't know. Enemies, sometimes we categorize maybe in different ways. Um, maybe it's better to say, Who is it hard for you to love? Is it a friend? Is it a neighbor? Is it um, a coworker? An employee? A boss? Maybe it's someone in your extended family. Maybe it's your spouse or your sibling or your parents or your child. Maybe it's someone that you have a disagreement with or someone that has hurt you badly. And oh my, these days, 
Maybe it's someone who has a politically different viewpoint or someone you're always trying to avoid. Someone who might even have a different ideology or theological beliefs. You know, when you've been um, in a career of doing this thing called ministry <laughs> for now almost 40 years, holy cow, as long as Dave's been born, um, <laughs> you think you would never have an enemy. Um, when we were out east, we actually had an opportunity to stay with some people. We stayed in, uh, the, they have an Airbnb, we were able to stay in a friend's Airbnb, and these are people who we knew many, many years ago, uh, and they were at the same church as where we were. And this church was the church where uh, I was, it was my first youth pastor job. And um, we were, my friend and I, uh, one night, Christy actually, had to uh, do a little bit of work, and she was uh, on a Zoom call. And so he invited me out, and we actually had an opportunity to uh, be beside a campfire. And what's interesting is, is that we were doing a lot of, you know, getting caught up. We were, we were doing some, um, I just sort of going down memory lane on a bunch of things. And then he said to me, he said, by the way, John, I've never asked you, but why did you leave that church? And all of a sudden, 20 years of memories all of a sudden pop up and you realize, Wow. I haven't thought about that in a while. And so I actually told him the story of how um, in that role as the youth pastor at the church, uh, things were going very, very well. We actually had an opportunity to see a youth group by, I guess, successful measures uh, grow from almost 19 kids to almost 200 kids. We had a chance to have a junior high group that just exploded. By the way, 20 years ago, it was a lot easier to do youth ministry than it is today. Um, that being said, we had a lot of success in that, in that church. And then over time, um, somehow, uh, the senior pastor and myself didn't kind of get along. And maybe some of you who know me well, I have a hard time holding my tongue when I feel people are um, not being held, handled well. And I have to take my, my I want to make sure that this isn't just a story to make me feel, look better at all, because that's not the case at all. But I found that the senior pastor and myself were just growing over time, just not to be on the same page at all. And so I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, um, uh, he and he, I definitely became his enemy. And I didn't realize that. And so uh, it was a very long story, but the shorter version would be is that Christy and I recognized that it was, and we were a lot younger back then, we recognized it was time uh, to move on. What was crazy was, um, this pastor hadn't had such a great reputation with youth pastors in the past. And uh, he actually was one who didn't, he was known as someone who wasn't easy for youth pastors to work with, but he and I worked fairly well for about four or five years. But then, obviously, this, things were deteriorating. And so, I actually approached him and said, I think it's time for me to move on. And he went, I'm not going to let you move on. And I went, whoa, basically I'm quitting, but you're not letting me quit. And so, what's shocking about this is that I didn't want to be disrespectful. Christy and I did not want to be disruptive in our church. We had done quite well. 
uh, there, and I think people saw, saw, were very, saw us in a very positive way. Um, but it just got to the point where I, I had to leave. And I say that because it's almost as if, over time, I became more and more resentful, and I didn't realize how much the anger was really brewing inside of me to the point where I just had to get out. And I say that because, obviously, we did leave and um, moved on to do something where you started to... I actually moved on to do something where I was helping to pastor other youth pastors. And so by doing that, this is part of the story, and I think it's very important, is that... Um, I was doing a lot of driving around Ontario. And in doing a lot of driving around Ontario, boy, this is, this is like aging big time, um, I had a cassette deck. Does anybody know what a cassette deck is? Okay, thank you. And we also, in driving, uh, in driving around, I would meet a lot of youth pastors, whatever, but I remember this one time in particular. So I had a stack. My father-in-law would give me these focus on the family, uh, pastor-to-pastor cassettes. And so basically what they were, okay, guys, this is way before the time when you stream anything, you have everything at your disposal. I had seven different subjects to choose from, and when you're driving at that point then, maybe even it is now, when you're driving from, say, I think we were living in Dundas at the time, maybe even Ancaster at the time, down, uh, down to Sarnia, uh, you don't have a lot of radio stations, so they kind of come and go. And so I'm looking at all these subjects, and I cannot remember for the life of me today what all those subjects were. All I know was the one that was on forgiveness was in this was in this. The subject of forgiveness was in these seven or eight, whatever it was, numbers. And I kept putting it off. I did not want that one. And so somewhere along the way with going to these different places over many, many, many weeks and if not months, I finally came to the last one. And it's on forgiveness. So I put it in, and I remember like it was yesterday, listening and going, I don't want to listen to this. That being said, I did. Um, I remember hearing that when you don't forgive, you actually put that person in the prison of your heart. And if you want to feel that idea of um, I remember the word, being healed from this prison, you need to let that person out of that jail, that prison of your heart. And I remember listening to the prayer uh, that this uh, person led us through, and he said, <laughs> take your hand, make it like a key, <laughs> put it to your heart, open it, open the door, and just release it. And so guess what I did on that drive? I released the pastor of that church from the prison of my heart. And I am not kidding you. It was the very best thing I've ever done. And I've probably done it many times since, but that's a whole other story. What's interesting is, is that I felt this unbelievable idea of I had made him my enemy. And I had re released him. Now here's what's also interesting though, and I want to say this. Um... This is confession time. So what I did was, I said, Lord, I'm releasing him from the prison of my heart, but here's the deal. 
You can do anything with him, and I have a whole pile of suggestions. <laughs> and I'm not joking. A few months later, maybe it was half a year later, I hadn't even thought about him in a long time. And uh, he was speaking at a conference. And I remember sitting at the back. Now, I was also cynical at the back going, yeah, 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 yeah. But I decided I would go and say hi to him at the end. And I remember I went up without any, honestly, there was nothing in my heart. And I went up and shook his hand and I wished him the very best. And as soon as he saw me, his face just dropped. We can't control our enemies. We can't control how people react. But I truly believe that this idea of this upside down kingdom that Jesus offers says, you have control over how you treat other people. You have control over that. We live in this world where there is just polarization and divisions are starting to define us. If there's ever a time when we as followers of Jesus need to really understand the practical implications of what this kind of teaching means, it's now. We're constantly being, being pulled and pushed to join one group or another. And there's some huge issues here at stake. There's issues about our country. There's issues about race. Um, there's ecumenical lines within different uh, religious environments or even our own denominations or our churches. There's gender issues. It's everything. But we're being pulled to be polarized. The upside-down kingdom <laughs> says we need to fight against that. Because our community is a community that is, absolute, is defined by this thing called absolute love. So now love. The power of love. Is that Huey, Huey Lewis? Yeah, wow, holy cow, we're going back. This love is proactive. It's not passive. People, it's proactive, it's not passive. This, this radical upside-down kingdom of love matters. It's real. It's not just words. Here in the scriptures we read in Romans, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Do you hear that? Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Then 1 Corinthians 13, we all know this. But 1 Corinthians 13 says this. And listen, listen to these words. Very important. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for the tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but, the, but, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, which probably many people that um, are commentators or people that really do a lot of study of scripture would say is probably one of the most gifted churches ever. If in fact we rely on our gifts and don't love, it means nothing. We can be the best preachers, the best teachers, the best people going to Bible studies. If we don't love, it's nothing. And then in John 4, 7 to 19, it says this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us this spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We, now, we know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect so that we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us. Who loved first? This is the heart of God. He takes the initiative, he's not passive. How did God show his love? He gave us his son. He willingly sacrifices. And then what are the results of this love? His love transforms and changes us. 
This is what our challenge is, to express that same love that God gave us through Jesus. So in this upside-down way of trying to love everyone, we need to be the ones that take the initiative. We need to be the ones that respond first with proactive love. We need to be the ones that offer a love that is sacrificial. And it's not just sacrificial, it's willingly sacrificial. We need to be confident that this love can bring transformation and change. Before I was a youth pastor, <laughs> this goes way back now, um, had a chance to work with, you ever heard of Paul Henderson? Some of it are young go, who in the world are we talking about? The, the goal scorer guy. Didn't work with him in any hockey way, I wish I could say that, but no, 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 Paul was actually running a ministry for uh, businessmen. And Paul asked if I would join uh, and uh, join and help target, not target, I guess work with more younger businessmen. And these guys were entrepreneurs. And so I actually worked with him for a very short period of time and he and I get along well, okay? So he's not the one in the first story at all. But I say that to you because I was, was reminded when I was uh, going through this is that Paul showed love to me that I've never had anybody do before. And that, um, here's the context a little bit of what we used to do, is that um, uh, maybe some of you are in the business world, maybe some of you are part of this leadership network, is what, they, what it's called, is that uh, they, would, uh, uh, they have Bible studies with businessmen, but businessmen go into work really early, okay? Just so you're aware, as a youth worker, we do nothing early. The other part is youth worker. We like to dress kind of like this more casually. This is like 20-something years ago. I had to buy suits, and I had to buy really nice suits, right, to do this thing. So this one time, we would do Bible studies before that they would start their, business, their, their days. So this one time, um, uh, I believe we are living in Pickering back then. Because I remember, I remember, yeah, we were living in Pickering. Sorry, this is like going way, way back, but... I'd have to get up at like 4.35 in the morning, put on a suit. By the way, getting up that early is not good for me. Putting on a suit's not good for me. And then you're driving in. I remember driving into an office. And so when, on this one time driving in, I remember realizing that uh, I'm leading, but as a person who's also leading this Bible study, we actually shared a memory verse every week. And so when we would go in is we'd share the memory verses and we would make sure that um, as we're, you know, sharing the memory verse, all of us would go around the table and, uh, yeah, just to make sure that we'd all, all, we'd all done the work. And so this one time I was driving in, I hadn't learned my memory verse, and the unfortunate part of probably how I was in most of my life is if I didn't study something, I'd look at it very quickly at the end and I'd be able to get by and that's kind of how my life was for a lot of years. So I did that. I was driving in, had the light on, remember, learning my memory verse, going in, driving, you know, learn your memory verse, like going back and forth so that you get in. So what I didn't know was that Paul actually joined our Bible study group that morning because there was a whole pile of these all, all around Toronto. And uh, we got in, we went through, did our stuff, did our memory verses, did our Bible study, you know, did whatever else we would do, went home. Um having a wonderful night with our family, and a phone call comes in. Now, this is back 
when you actually took phones on, off a wall. Now, this was the cool part, though. We'd gone beyond cords, so I remember it being like a big antenna. I don't know why I remember this, but I remember being on. And Paul said to me, Paul, it was Paul Henderson, he calls me, and Paul says, um, hey, young man, you know, blah, blah, blah. Paul goes through, and he goes, very disappointed in you. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What's up, Paul? I'm thinking, oh my, all the different things I could have done. I wasn't with him that long, whatever. And he goes, you didn't know your memory, work, memory verse. You faked it. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, tell me what you did. Did you know your memory verse? Or did you fake it? Now, here's what happens to the young person at that time. I have two choices to make. You can either lie and make myself feel better, and hopefully somehow convince him that he's wrong, or I can actually tell the truth, feel horrible, be apologetic, and who knows what's left. And I came face to face with this reality that I had a choice to make. And I said, you're right. I did fake it. Paul, I'm so sorry. I will never let that happen again. And he said, John, I just know there's more in you. I know there's more leadership in you. And he just said, John, I just want to make sure that you know that that's not, now Paul is a strong guy. But what he did for me that day was he showed me how much he loved me. And to this day, when I've come in and been with other, some of you might know this, I don't, he showed me an example of love, kind of like what that real tough love looks like. You know what, the third part of this as we move on here is this idea of maturity and what is this true measure of maturity. Um, I do a lot of grocery shopping. I remember going way uh, a few months back, standing in line, and um, somebody in front of me comments on someone in front of them and says, oh, I noticed your tattoo. It's a young lady. She had a tattoo, and it was right on the back of her, of her neck. And um, this tattoo, I can't remember exactly what the tattoo said, but this person pointed it out, and this, this uh, young lady said, um, oh yeah, it's the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. What's interesting is, immediately, the person who made the comment kind of reverted to, oh, you must have vengeance with that. You're taking, what is it, like, that you're doing? Uh, when someone wrongs you, you need to get them back. And I remember like, this kind of take on it that was very much on this side of doing something to get back at someone else. And then do you know what she said? Oh, it could be good too. <laughs> and do you know what? She's right. In fact, earlier, in, so what we just read today is Luke 6, verse 31 says, Jesus said, do to others. Others, everyone. Even your enemies, love them. Show mercy, be good, be kind. Don't be arrogant, don't be rude. Be full of faith and hope. So that's, I think, what we're trying to do today is as we wrap up. This essence of what Jesus is saying, and it's not just through the passage we shared today, it's through last week, it's through this week, and it's actually through next week, this idea of, this upside-down version of what Jesus wants each one of us to do as we follow him 
is to understand that spiritual maturity isn't about, the essence of spiritual maturity, it isn't about the fact that you would have this amazing church background. It doesn't matter. It's not going to be part of it. The essence of spiritual maturity isn't about um, how many Bible study groups you're in or you've been involved in in the past. It isn't about the age, how old you are, or the stage of life you're, you're at. It isn't about the number of church ministries you've been involved in or how many Sundays in a row you've been attending church. It isn't about whether you put your hands up in the air when you sing a song or not. It isn't about volunteering and serving the needs of the community. And it isn't even about how much money you give. Because these are all really, really good things. For Jesus, and this is the key point, this is the key point of today. For Jesus, maturity is measured by truly loving all people, not just those that love us back. It is when you are more about others and less about yourself. Let me read that again. For Jesus, maturity is measured by truly loving all people, not just those that love us back. It is when you are more about others and less about yourself. Love is what makes us different. Forgiveness is the ultimate and I believe the final form of how we can really love people. And it is the distinguishing mark of the community of Jesus' followers. And it was and it 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 was and is this idea of loving our enemies. So can we love Jesus? How can we follow Jesus by loving our enemies? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to follow Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for giving us this kind of teaching, which is called this upside-down kingdom, which this world probably doesn't understand, which is so radical. Father, help us love everyone, not just those that are easy to love, but even love those who many of us would call our enemies. Father, we have struggles, so we know other people struggle with us and we struggle with them. So Lord, this isn't something we take lightly. Help us love in a proactive way those who might even be hard to love in the first place. But Father, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much in a sacrificial way that you, that you gave him to us so that we can love others. Lord, we love you. Amen.